This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Okay, here we go with Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry, Legislative Bureau Chief. You're a rock and roll fan. Uh, Jerry Lee Lewis has passed away. The killer. The killer. Yeah, sad news. What was he, 88? 87? 87? Or, no, or was he 89? What was he? 87. I thought or he'd be older than that. I thought he'd be older as well. <laughs> I mean, uh, he burst on the scene in the late 50s, I believe. But then he dropped from sight after he married his 13-year-old cousin. Yes, yes. Married his cousin, 13 years old. And that was not good for his career. No, he, he sort of evolved into a country crooner Yeah, away from rock and roll. He so. won a lot of Grammy Awards. He won a lot of, he had a lot of gold records. Yeah. So. Okay, rest in peace. Let's uh, let's get on to the news here at home. Let's talk about the canceled Olympics bid here. Does mm-hmm. this surprise you? The government pulls the plug on this? Not at all. It's it was flying so far uh, down low on the radar. Uh, it's just it's never come up in the legislature. It's never been brought up in news conferences. If they, when we first asked John Horgan about this, when this was first announced, the re- reception from the government wasn't well, clapping hands and all enthusiasm. It was just basically, well, that's interesting. <laughs> uh, never got uh, the impression this had any real strong uh, or even tepid government support. So when they pulled the plug yesterday, um, not surprised. And uh, the briefing I got from government officials uh, showed the potential financial exposure here to the province was quite substantial, uh, potentially in excess of $3 billion when all the costs are incurred because there was supposed to be a private sector partner in this thing, right. which is not materialized. Mm. And I think that was the, the, the final uh, nail in the coffin here. But it's also, and I know you had an earlier guest on, uh, and you and I have talked about this before, are the Olympics a sunset industry? You know, fewer and fewer cities are bidding on these spectacles. The other thing I think at play here, the pandemic and the unbelievable impact it's had on uh, life, on governments, on finances, has refocused uh, governments in ways we've never seen before. So as much as 2010 was a big success and a lot of enthusiasm, this thing never seemed to get off the ground. Yeah, and the other city that had been in the running for the 2030 Olympics is Sapporo, Japan, and that bid is in trouble, too. So there was a lot of speculation here that Vancouver, if this thing had gone forward, Vancouver had a pretty good crack to win it. And you were telling me off the air the government was actually... Well, that one worried. of the jokes I heard heard it. from officials, uh, the, you know, the down, we could have won this thing, <laughs> and which would have exposed the government, again, to an enormous cost because no private sector... Uh, partner. The uh, federal government is not going to indemnify BC in terms of runaway uh, extra costs. The other thing, and lo- I looked at the budget, no one really knows what the security costs are going to be. And if you go back to 2010, security was a hugely expensive uh, line item. We had cruise ships in the in the harbor uh, to house uh, military and police personnel. They were on double and triple overtime. Uh, it's just enormous cost. And you can never say no to security. No. It's just, it is what it is. Yeah. And that was the other, one of the big concerns here as well. That was a blank check. So, uh, again, I just don't think they made their, now the uh, First Nations are holding a news conference at 11, and they're going to say they never got a chance to make their case to cabinet. Right. But uh, that's on them. Okay, the, let's listen to the, uh, the opposition's take on this. So this is Liberal MLA Todd Stone speaking yesterday. To turn their backs uh, on uh, First Nations in particular on this uh, is, is uh, frankly, irresponsible. 
Okay, but it's not that the Liberals supported this, though. They're no, not on the record I've, as supporting I've never, it. I've never heard the Liberals, they've never raised this in the legislature ever. Yeah. Uh, I'm, they're not on the record for supporting this thing. So the Liberals saying, like, but they're the opposition. If we, were, if we were in power, we would have supported it? Yeah. I don't think so. They haven't said that. Now, they're the opposition, so yeah. it's on them to criticize the government. To, to you know, And it's interesting. This is It's a First Nations Indigenous-led bid. And right. when you've got that in play here, that is a unique uh, part of this bid. And it does put the government in an interesting spot to oppose a First Nations-led bid. But it doesn't mean – reconciliation doesn't mean that everything – every First Nations wants, is going to happen. There is a sort of... What about the protocol, though, of just at least consulting with them? Well, and that's probably what's going to be addressed at 11 o'clock today. I think that's where they're going to zero in on here. They they had asked for a meeting with David Eby, but... That's not how this this works. My understanding this is a cabinet decision. Uh, it's not a one person. I'm sure. Decision. Eby, I'm sure Eby didn't want this. No. Yeah. Well, if you go back to 2010, uh, and the Liberals actually gleefully released some stuff yesterday about his position on the 2010 Olympics, which was anti-Olympics. So no, I don't think Eby was in support of this at all. Right. <laughs> that was back when uh, Eby was uh, with the civil rights yep. crusading lawyer, anti-poverty activist, high-profile critic of the police, and he said at that time. That Vancouver was being turned into a police state. A police state in 2010. <laughs> so I, I don't. He's never been. He's never seemed to be very enthusiastic about the Olympics. No, and again, he was part of a cabinet that was discussing this way back when. I mean, this wasn't just suddenly yesterday for the first time they talked about this. My understanding, this has been kicked around before, and again, it, it never seemed to get to even first base. Let's talk about uh, crime and prolific offenders, mm-hmm. which the Liberals continue to hammer the government with them. very effectively every day in, in the legislature. Now listen to this. Now this is Eleanor Sturko, the former Surrey RCMP officer, now a Liberal MLA. And she's she's been really effective, in my opinion, here. She is. So here she is in, in the uh, legislature yesterday talking about this guy who's got 421 police files and they release him again. Have a listen to this. Justin Collins a prolific offender with over 421 police files, released with the agreement of Crown prosecutors on charges that included assaulting a police officer. When will the NDP scrap the incoming soft-on-crime premier's catch-and-release system and start keeping violent prolific offenders in jail? Okay. She has emerged as a pretty good uh, critic and performer on the liberal ranks, and I think she's one of the one of the best. Well, because so, yeah. she can walk the walk too as a yep. former police officer. But imagine there's a guy out there, Justin Collins, 421 police files, 421 incidents where police have had to go deal with him, <clears throat> and he serves no jail time, no yeah, incarceration. The, the Kelowna RCMP earlier this year actually put out a public warning, like a public advisory, that this guy had been released again. Mm-hmm. And they said, okay, his file, 421 police files, 64 charges. The charges include violent assaults, robbery, theft, mischief, indecent acts. <laughs> Just keep letting him out. Yeah. Over and over again. And it's she also had a, um, uh, Eleanor Sturkle also referred to Doug Lepard, the government's own hand-picked expert on this, former deputy Vancouver police chief, uh, who uh, was at a, a Vancouver Sun crime form saying this very issue he raised. Let's, and, let's listen yeah. to it. I've got the clip right here. So this is Doug Lepard. This is the co-author of the government's own recently commissioned report on prolific crime, prolific offenders. And here he is speaking in a, a Vancouver Sun forum this week on crime. Listen to what he says here, Doug Lepard. 
But I have to tell you the response that we got, at least from the representatives of Crown, when we suggested that, you know, maybe now that the pandemic were at the other end, that you could be a little more assertive at seeking detention for the most incorrigible offenders who breach their conditions over and over and over again. And I have to say we got pushback on that about whether that was appropriate. He got pushback when he suggested that they keep these people locked up. Yeah, so if you go back to the beginning of the pandemic, there was a push not to put people uh, behind bars in close quarters uh, if it could be avoided because of COVID situation and and because we had those terrible outbreaks at correctional facilities. In Mission, I believe, was one real bad one. Um, but that was then. This is now. Uh, you know, everything else has changed. So it's going to be interesting. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we have a new attorney general when David Eby comes in. He's going to probably make some cabinet changes. Murray Rankin right now is holding two portfolios, his original Indigenous Relations portfolio. Then Eby left the, being attorney general to run as leader. And Rankin, a lawyer, uh, has inherited that portfolio. I wonder uh, if Eby's going to revisit that situation and put someone else in there. And will that person issue a special directive to Crown Council to change what they're doing. And this is what the Liberals have been pushing for. There is an ability under the Crown Council Act for the Attorney General to issue a directive to Crown Council to say do X, Y, or Z. Um, I noticed in the front page of the Global Mail today, the Supreme Court of Canada ruled yesterday that uh, judges can give longer sentences than what prosecutors are looking for, which, again, a signal perhaps the Supreme Court of Canada is toughening up. I bet you Murray Rankin will be out of there. I agree with you. And and I think one of the other key reasons is he's just not been very effective in the legislature in pushing back against these liberal attacks. So Mike Farnworth, the public safety minister, has to step in in question period often and take up um, the government's response. I mean, and Farnworth throws it back a little and cites chapter and verse what they did on their watch. Real quickly, the swearing-in date for David Eby as premier? Yeah, pushed back to November 18th. We had been led to believe it was going to be November 8th or 9th, and they, the government has just out of the blue uh, extended the break week, which was a Remembrance Day week, for another week. So they're shutting the legislature down for a week. Down for another week, okay. which avoids four more question periods in which the Liberals would hammer them over the head on the soft-on-crime allegation. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Keith Baldry is my guest. The phone lines are open. Got open lines. You'll probably get through if you phone now. 604-280-9898 is the number. Star 9898 on your cell. James in Kelowna. Hi, James. Go ahead. Yeah, hi, Keith and uh, Mike. Um, just as, uh, an interesting thought on the soft on crime. So as a listener to what's happening, you know, your average radio listener, I as a person have no idea, like, who actually writes these um, rules or, 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 or policies, where do they get signed? Um, who approves them? I think in this culture of where the media is very powerful in calling out names of people who say certain things or disagree with certain things, I, need, I think we need to start calling out some names. Well, the judge, judge, thank you for the call. I mean, a judge will make a, make a call on these things, right? There's a crown input. Yeah, I'm not sure it really changes anything to know the name of the crown prosecutor who's following directives or, or 
uh, protocol set down by uh, uh, people senior. They, they, the, they also have to follow federal. Federal. So it starts with Supreme Court rulings. Then it uh, goes down to legislation crafted by the federal government, which really is much more in control of the justice system than the provinces are. Uh, criminal code uh, provisions. And then it trickles down to the crowns. But there's ro- there's room for latitude. And uh, again, not, not sure knowing the name of someone other than the attorney general, who is the ultimate uh, taskmaster here, uh, would, would really change much. Well, we know the attorney general's name yeah. is Murray Rankin. Murray Rankin. Oh, maybe, they'll, maybe we'll have a new also attorney named, general. We, uh, and we what is he doing about it? We, like, Well, there also there's the head of the criminal justice branch, who's Peter Juke, who's actually did an op-ed piece saying this is all no story here, nothing to see here, uh, saying the crime rate has gone down. So... Statistics are always misleading. The crime rate has gone down, but what hasn't gone down and what's actually gone up is violent crime. So right, in right. the pandemic, so many people stayed home, so B&Es dropped. That's one of the more common crimes. Well, that fell off the table because people are staying home. People weren't driving their cars as much. They weren't parking downtown. So auto, theft, auto thefts and such declined. Those are big statistics. If you take those out of the mix, random street violence is up 35% in Vancouver over four years. Yeah, it's there's violent. there's this measurement called the crime severity index, mm-hmm. which puts comes out, and the crime severity index has gone up. So, it's more severe crime is up significantly right. in places like Metro Vancouver and Victoria yeah. over here. A lot of it associated with mental health. Yeah, James in White Rock. Hi, James. Go ahead. Hi, guys. Thanks for taking my call. I find it really hypocritical of the First Nations to be so offended that this was turned down and they didn't get enough consultation when they took it so personally when the people of Vancouver actually wanted to have a say on whether or not Vancouver wanted to back this in the first place. When they called for a plebiscite in Vancouver, they lost their minds because they said it's a signed deal and Vancouver shouldn't have a say. Right. Well, what they thank you for that. Well, what they said was there was a, uh, an agreement and a protocol with the city of Vancouver that did not include a referendum. Mm-hmm. And then this referendum idea was sprung later that went nowhere. But yeah, um, I, I, I'm not sure I would call it hypocritical. Um, I think they're going to announce at 11 that they, they were not consulted or given a, a full hearing. Yeah. Now, having said that, you um, people don't make delegations or representations to cabinet. That's very, very rarely done. Uh, so I cover cabinet all the time. You don't see uh, people trooping in to make presentations and, and PowerPoint presentations. You go through the line minister who then brings stuff to cabinet. So in this case, it was Melanie Mark, the tourism minister, now Lisa Baer, the tourism minister. Her officials are the ones who do the work here and make the presentation to cabinet. Right. And well, I spoke earlier on the show today to Slay with Tooth First Nation Chief Jen Thomas, who said that they wanted to have the opportunity to make this presentation and to show them how, well, we got we got a private sector partners come in and bankroll this thing. And I'm I'm like, mm. I was never convinced that, you know, private sector. I mean, look, the taxpayers are always on the hook. For always these on the hook on this. And right now there's not a lot of investment. I mean, yeah. companies are still coming out of the pandemic. They're not throwing billions of dollars around. Rob and Chilliwack. Hi, Rob. Go ahead. Hi, hi, good morning, guys. I, I, I just wanted to say, you know, I call it how I see it. I agree 100% with the NDP uh, not backing this bid. We don't have the money for that. We have schools, hospitals. We have public safe, safety to deal with. Um, but what I do find disingenuous about the Liberals is we have Mr. Falcon, you know, beacon off there, blah, 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 uh, saying that they never supported basically back in 2010 the Olympic bid. That's not true. I think, Keith, you would know better than me, but I'd not go back to Glenn Clark. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Started that. So yep. I find that very disingenuous of, of uh, Mr. Falcon and uh, Todd Stone yesterday. 
you know, in the media. I, I didn't like that at all. So thanks, guys. Thank you. No, Rob, you're right. The, the 2010 Olympic bid started with Glenn Clark sure. and the yeah. NDB government. They're the ones who, who submitted the first bid. Yep. Uh, to their credit, and then you know that obviously lost power. It takes years for the bid to actually uh, come to fruition, and then Gordon Campbell uh, inherited that. The NDP supported. There were there were members of the NDP who didn't support the 2010 Olympics, but there was the party did support it. And in this case, I haven't seen any record of the Liberals supporting this particular Olympic bid. 